very tempting to have a problem and go straight to asking people for advice. But there's an inherent problem with asking just anyone and asking them when you're in that crisis state. I find a lot of people will have an interpersonal issue with someone. They will feel attacked or used or abused or ignored or, you know, there's something going on in the relationship, you know, friends, platonic, family, romantic, whatever, work-based. And they will come to someone in their life and they will be emotional. And that emotionality will obviously come across when they're talking about the problem or the, the thing that they think is the problem in their mind. And what typically happens is the person on the receiving end of that is motivated to sort of agree with the conclusions that you have, that the person that is upset has. That person is motivated to to just agree or to agree with the conclusions or to at least agree with the outrage because it's very hard for someone hearing a complaint, for someone, you know, that's sort of playing that sort of counsellor role that isn't professional, that isn't in a counsellor role, but like that you're coming to with this problem. It's very hard for that person to detach, be objective in the face of your emotionality, particularly if that person comes back to you with something you don't want to hear or that might be a bit counter or might cause your emotionality to enrage. Because let's say they come back at you with something, a bit of advice that might actually be good, good to hear, good to consider, good to, good to play out, or it just needs to be contemplated in some capacity. If that person suggests it to you and you discount it and get angry at the person, your, your anger at the initial issue can sometimes turn onto that person, the person that you've come to for advice. And it becomes this thing of like, you don't get it, you don't understand, or, you know, at worst, well, you're, you're, you're agreeing with them, you're one of them. So what ends up happening is the person that you come to for advice, a lot of the time in that emotional state will simply agree with you, will simply be like, yeah, look, I... I you are right, that person is this sort of thing, or you should quit that job, and basically just becoming that echo chamber for your for your issues, for your thoughts, for, for, for whatever conclusions you've come to. And don't get me wrong, that sort of person, or that sort of situation is great in a sense. It's great in the sense that if that's what you want from the interaction, if that's what you, you, you are hoping for, all power to you, because sometimes you just want to vent and have someone just be there to hear you vent and agree with your conclusions. Unfortunately, though, you might be using interactions such as this to sort of, quote-unquote, prove to yourself that you're, in fact, justified or correct or that how you've perceived things is the objectively appropriate way to perceive things because if you're not getting pushed back for whatever reason it's easy to assume that you're right now don't get me wrong I'm I'm guilty of this just as much as anyone so, so what I'm sort of trying to do is a, a few things 
when people come to me for advice, and this is, you know, both in person and online, and, you know, I'm getting a lot of people messaging me and emailing me being like, hey, this happened, this this friend did this, my, my partner did that, my family has this, I think I should do this, what do you think? And, you know, I'm not a therapist, I'm just a guy that talks about mental health and you know, I strongly encourage people to get a in-person trained competent therapist to talk their problems through with. But I am detached and objective from it. Uh, the, the problem with giving advice is all I've got is the snippet of information that you give me combined with the emotionality you feel. So all I can do really, unless I get real, real, real deep, is respond to the emotionality. That seems to be, you know, for example, that seems to be quite upsetting to you. How, how do you feel about this? How does this? How has this thing made you feel over the long term? Because in terms of specific responses, you know, should I break up with this person? Should I move on? Should I detach? Should I do X, Y, Z? Maybe. I, I can't quite give you that direct advice because, you know, you're the one that knows the situation. Now, if we had a long conversation, if you could really break it down and I could ask follow-up questions, then I might be able to give an opinion on what specifically you should do. But the, 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 the thing on, about that is, is that you need to be receptive to the potential that you might be overly emotional. And that can be hard to consider because, you know, no, you know when you see someone else struggling with an interpersonal relationship or any problem and you see it from the detached perspective, you see the problem as it stands, not the problem mired by, you know, years of trauma and abuse and emotionality and all the other things that you see. I mean, the clear, simple example, not that it's simple, but like the basic example, I suppose, is of a spousal abuse victim. It's it's all too easy for the people external to it to be like, that's shocking, just leave. And and ultimately, that's probably the best solution without, you know, like in, in, in almost literally every single case, you know, except for when maybe kids are involved and there are complexities, but the answer is to leave to get therapy, to get support and, you know, get, the, get the, the, the authorities involved and all of that sort of stuff. But the problem is, is the person that is the, the abuse victim is facing a lot of internal struggles. They're, they've been almost trained or indoctrinated or conditioned to have low self-worth, to believe that they are deserving of the abuse, to, to a whole range of things. Their, their, their emotionality is... is punctuating their their responses to the actual actions to the actual things that are happening so from the outside perspective you could be like yeah just just do this because practically or like you know sort of sort of physically that's what they should do but how do you get that across to an emotional person and and you can apply that same concept to someone that's addicted you know just quit or someone that's depressed it's like well just go out in the sun just exercise just, just get therapy right I think that's where a lot of this terrible cliched advice for mental health and for these problems come about because it's like, well, just, just, just do the thing. But when you're in it, there's this whole level of emotionality and background thoughts and ruminations and 
plethora of other mental health concerns that sort of weigh you down. So if I'm giving advice in person or online, I'm tend, I tend to be err on the side of letting them come to the conclusion themselves. However, there will be times that I will suggest that, that not that they do something, but that they just consider it from a different perspective. Not necessarily the other person's perspective, but just a third person's perspective. What would a third person that's not you and not the person you're in the interpersonal conflict with, what would that person think of the situation? How would they think you're being fair? How would they think the other person's being fair? Would they think that you've done anything to perpetuate the situation? Would they think that the, the, the other person has? Would they think that there's certain actions you could take if only you took them? Would they think that, well, what would that person think? Can you, can you, can you come to that conclusion? Because unless, unless if, if you're emotionally charged about something, unless you can detach from it and step back and see, see, see a little bit more of the reality of the situation that's sort of beyond your emotions, you may only get that echo chamber-based advice. You know, if, if someone comes to me crying and you know, literally in tears because someone said or did something, they're not after a solution, even if they think they are. Well, look, they may be, but they might be saying, well, what should I do? What should I do? But in that highly emotional state, all I can really give them is comfort. Maybe in a week or in a month, when they come to me calm and collected, maybe then I can give them a more of a deconstruction or a game plan or that sort of stuff. The, the the problem with this is that the person that is emotional coming for the advice may think that my comfort, my care and concern mode is me agreeing with them, is me validating the their actions when I'm really just validating their emotions. And that may lead to similar problems and concerns and issues moving forward. It, 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 it's, it's taken me a long time to realize that when people come to me for help, they're not always after a practical solution. They might be after the emotional support. They might be after just a sort of a soundboard. So the other thing I'm trying to do is be like, hey, what sort of support are you after right now? Do you want me just to listen? Do you want me to give you some advice? Do you want a hug, right? What What are we, you know, do you need practical help to fix the literal problem? Yeah? Like if, if, if someone's, someone's house burns down, right? Uh, extreme case. What support do they need? That they, they probably need practical help in the sense that they need to have food, shelter, comfort, warmth, right? They'll also need to have psychological help in the sense of it's quite traumatic to deal with a, a, a home that's been burnt down. And that, that they might be initially very emotional in the moment. So what do they actually need from you right now? 
little bit of everything, a little bit of a hug, a, a, a ongoing plan to sort of rebuild their life? Do they need a therapy session? Like, what, you know, what, do they need legal advice, right? It's not necessarily immediately obvious, neither to you when they come to you or the person themselves. So I guess what I'm saying with this thought process is that we all need to detach. We all need to, to realize that, you know, on both sides of the coin, if someone comes to you for advice, step back and don't be immediately overwhelmed by their emotionality. They will come to you looking for something, but it may not be exactly the thing that they need. You know, if someone's... Someone might be completely overwhelmed and literally just need to just vent, but they might be asking you for practical support. And if they're coming to you, it's it's on you to, to, to sort of field that. And obviously, if you're not in a place to field that, to, to, to pass it on to a professional therapist. And on the alternate side of things, if something happens in your life and you come to people, realize that you might be just creating an echo chamber unwillingly, unwittingly. You come to people for advice, you come to them with an outrageous story presented with emotionality, and they might just agree with you. They might agree with you because they feel that that's just what you want. Or alternatively, they might agree with you because they don't necessarily have the strength to push back. And it, obviously all of this depends on the, the level of interpersonal connection that you have with the person. But if someone's close to me and they're emotional, I feel more comfortable pushing back and sort of risking their ire, risking their displeasure, risking their their immediate annoyance and sort of cop a bit of abuse of like, you don't understand, you don't get it. To get through that, to be able to get to the nuts and bolts of the problem. Because if I if I have a long relationship with the person, I can see the trends and the history and the approaches and I I can help them through that. And on the other side of things, they know that I will push back and they, they, they have that want for pushback because they know that I'll give them that feedback. And this comes from like a, you know, lots of honest discussions and, you know, like sort of working out that fine lines. Because don't get me wrong, in this process with, with these people that are close to me, I will, and I have, and I will again, most likely overstep the line and push more than I should or not listen enough and all of those things. But I'm also very, very cognizant that a lot of the times people don't, people don't get an honest look because people are afraid to give people an honest look with my writing with my brazilian jiu-jitsu practice with basically most of the things that i'm doing with my work as a disability support worker i'm looking for feedback so i'll give my partner my writing or I, you know i'll ask my coach what do you think or, you know, different people that I work with, you know, what, what do you think of, of, of how I handled that situation then? And initially, when they gave me that honest feedback, I balked at it. It was hard. It was challenging. I'm like, oh, and it hurt. It stung. And I didn't want, I didn't want it. But then I realized that 
the more I get that feedback, the more I push for the feedback, the more I accept the feedback, the more I keep asking for it, the better the 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 writing becomes, the better the product becomes, the better the my my performance in the gym becomes because you know, like they're seeing it from the detached perspective. It's like, hey coach, how could have I escaped this position? Well, you should have done this and this and this. And my initial ref- response is like, yeah, but you're not in my body. You're not feeling the pain and the pressure and all of that stuff that I'm feeling, you know, like from the jujitsu perspective. Or, you know, hey, did this writing project to you this emotion? Oh, not really. I mean, like I sort of felt it over here, but you, you were a bit verbose there and you sort of rambled over here and what's this tangent about? Oh, you don't understand my writing? You know, I'm trying to like... <laughs> It can get confronting because it's like I like I'm sort of putting myself out there on the page. But when I calm down a bit and just contemplate it and think about it, I'm very grateful that I've got these relationships with people that are comfortable standing up to me through the emotionality to be like, "Hey, this is what you should do," and I and I apply that logic to a crisis plan. I'm in the process of creating a, a a bonus video course called Creating a Mental Health Crisis Plan. I'm going to talk about how you can get access to that and when it'll be up and all of that sort of stuff soon. But basically a crisis plan is sort of a document that you need to sort out and put out a, a way to deal with a mental health emergency. And the the basic premise is that it should be sort of in order. You know, you notice that you're not, you're struggling and then you put an intervention in and it, you know, it goes from like your sort of self-care all the way down to calling emergency services. But one of the things I've realized that I need to put into the crisis plan is a bunch of external triggers. For example, if I notice that my friends and family and or work colleagues or people in my external, external to me are like, hey, are you all right? If they start asking me that, that's a sign for me to step back and go, hmm, am I okay? Because I know that when I'm struggling, it's it's hard. I know when I'm struggling, it's hard for me to step back, detach, and see that I'm struggling. So I'm relying on the external motivator, the external, the external prompting to check into myself, to detach. And then I take it a step further, being like, okay, well, I've given you know, quote-unquote authority to people external to me to to take more direct action should they view I need it. Because if I go very manic, like very high or very low, I can very quickly devolve into a mental health crisis. So quickly that if people don't help catch me, I could be very much at risk. But when they do ask me in that moment, I'm quite emotional. So the best response is for them to just act. And then I know that I have to trust them. And over a long time, I've learned that, you know, if my partner's like, hey, I'm, I'm worried about you. Are you, you know, have you got a psychologist booked? You should take the day off. You need to do some self-care. You need to have Valium tonight. You need to, you know, yada, yada. So, so, so in every aspect of mental health management, there's this importance of having a realistic look, in my mind at least, as a safety valve. So yeah, when you're giving and asking for advice, let's just take a little step back and realize that emotionality can color our perception 
of the question and of the needs of both parties. So, so, so that that's what I wanted to talk about today. But I wanted to sort of let you know how you can get access to the crisis plan video courses and sort of what I've been doing on my website. I've I've started a Patreon in earnest in the sense that I sort of got my shit together with that, for lack of a better expression, and sort of realized how what I can do with it and what I can offer. The Usually for my video courses, I'll put them on Skillshare. And, and you know, with everything I do on online, I like to be able to put it out there as available for free. So Skillshare is great because you sign up, you get two months free access. And I'll put a link down below so you can grab access to my Skillshare courses. But the problem with Skillshare is that they only allow content of certain varieties and stuff that's directly related to mental health. They, you know, and some other things, they like um, physical training and self-defense and stuff. But mainly with the mental health stuff, they've been pulling my courses down. I had four courses I was going to put up on Skillshare and they, all of them got rejected. And if they keep getting rejected, there's a chance of all my courses getting pulled. So I'm like, okay, what can I do about this? I want to be able to put these courses out, particularly related to mental health. But I want it to be free access, but I also need to justify my time. So how can I balance this? all right, I'll make a Patreon and I'll allow people to get early access to the courses. I'll put them on my website under a tab called Bonus tab, bonus Collection and they'll get early access to those courses if they sign up to the $10 Patreon tier. So for $10 a month, month you get early access to my, all, of the, all of the courses that I've got up, the bonus, the bonus courses. And over, over time, I'll release those courses for free so everyone gets access. And this basically sort of, I feel, hits all of those moral moral standings, moral groundings of me still wanting to stick to the idea of giving things out for free. But it also justifies the time. You know, like it might take me an hour to shoot a course and then like a day to edit it and upload it and write it and all of that process. And, and that day is gladly spent, but that day costs, you know, is an opportunity cost. That, that, that time that I spend could be spent with my family, you know, with my son, with my partner, you know, it could be spent doing self-care recovering or it could be spent, you know, working to pay the bills at, at home and, you know, for the food for my family and all of that sort of stuff. So, so what I'm doing is basically saying, Hey guys, if you, if you, if you, if you wait, you'll get it for free. But if you want to support what I'm doing and you want early access, $10 Patreon tier. And then in addition to the the other options, I wanted to talk you guys through the Patreon options that I've got because I'm doing that same approach for a few different projects. As you know, I've got a the, the, the book Lucidity, the fiction set in a universe where dreams are connected. And I'm basically writing that over time. Every Tuesday I sit down to do writing. And I don't know where it'll end up, but I'm enjoying the process. And I figured that you guys might like to see the behind-the-scenes viewage of that, in the sense that what chap what are the chapters coming out as I write them? How am I making those tweaks? So what I'm doing for a Patreon tiers on a $10 tier for called the Lucidity tier is, you know, get get early access to that, get early access to those chapters and some behind-the-scenes videos. And and I'm doing another similar thing for how to get your shit together, another $10 tier. I'll be putting the chapters out on the podcast uh, and on the website for free 
but if you want early access to them before they come out, once again, there's a $10 tier. So, so then I'm like thinking about all of this and I'm like, okay, how can I make this a little bit simpler? Because people might only want access to the early courses or, or people might only be interested in lucidity or people might only be interested in how to get shit together. So each of those will be up as a $10 tier. But if you want access to all of them, if you want early access to everything I'm doing, all together I've put it up as a $15 per month Patreon tier. If you want access to everything I'm doing early and just get that access, that's the one for you. Um, but, you know, so, so $15 per month to get early access to everything I'm doing. And, and it's a great way to support what I'm doing. And, and the reason I like Patreon is that it will enable me to see the, the income that I'll be getting from my online work. Because right now, I get a small amount from book sales and a small amount from Skillshare courses. But I don't know how much it will be until after the fact. Um, so not only is it small, it's also variable and uncertain. You know, what if everyone who wants to buy How to Get Your Shit Together has bought it? Hmm, I don't, I don't know. So I can't. I can't rely on it. And because I can't rely on it, it means I can't mental health wise use that income as a, as a way to put more time into what I'm doing here. I use that income to buy, you know, I bought the laptop and the microphone that I'm recording this on right now, for example. I use it to buy equipment and upgrade what I'm doing. Like sort of re reinvested in what I'm doing here, basically. And, you know, books on how to write and mental health books and all of that sort of stuff. But I can't rely on it as sort of like a living income. Whereas if I get you guys supporting me on Patreon, it will enable me to see how much I've got coming in and therefore make better life choices that, you know, that keep me going mental health wise. It means that I could work less in my traditional job and do more of this stuff. So I've given people early the option of early access to the bonus Skillshare courses, the how to get shit together, lucidity, and put it all together. Um, but you can also support for any amount. So if you... You know, if you think I'm worth what I'm doing, the free stuff, $1 a month, that helps. Every little bit helps. On your end, $1 a month is completely unnoticeable. But on my end, collectively, if everyone that listens to my podcast put in that $1 a month, I could do this full time. Easily. So if you if you consider that what I'm doing here is worth your support, head over to Patreon and you know, sign up. It's a monthly direct direct deposit that's, you know, yeah, it's taken each month and it, it, it would mean the world to me both practically and emotionally. <laughs> um, just want to talk through a couple more things on the Patreon, the other Patreon options. I've got a $3 Q&A tier, basically for $3 every month I'll ask people in that tier, you know, do you have questions that you want me to address on the podcast? And I'll do a podcast like this where basically I'll be just riffing on the questions and answers and every month um, when that when that tier fills up, I'll be able to do a Q&A podcast with your questions. So, you know, if you're like, hey, what should I do here, X, Y, Z? Once again, it's another way to, 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 to support what I'm doing. And the, and the final thing is, is on the Patreon, I've also got a couple of coaching tiers. If you want email coaching um, or you want one-on-one -on -one direct coaching via, you know, video or Skype, that sort of thing, there's a couple of options there. And there's a, there's a coaching tab on my website where you can read more about it. But basically, in relation to the Skillshare courses, the how to get shit together, the lucidity, 
there's the $10 tiers or there's the $15 collected tier. So head over to patreon.com slash Zach P. Phillips. Check out what I've got on offer. Realize I've, I've just set this up now, so I'm going to have a bunch more coming in soon. Um, but hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, there will be the at least the Crisis Plan Skillshare course up and a couple of chapters of How to Get Your Shit Together and Lucidity that will unlock instantly for you. So yeah, thanks for listening, thanks for supporting, and have a good one. Mm-hmm.